My name is Vaughn Jonsson and I'm the President and a Trial Chamber Judge at the International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda, which I will refer to today as either the ICTR or the Tribunal. I'm also a duty judge of the Arusha branch of the Mechanism for International Criminal Tribunals, or the Mechanism. The Mechanism is the institution created by the UN Security Council in 2010 to continue the residual functions of the ICTR and the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia, the ICTY, as both institutions near completion of their mandates and move towards closure. As the ICTR makes arrangements to commemorate its 20th anniversary in November 2014, my lecture today will provide an introduction to the work of the ICTR as well as an overview of the impact the tribunal has had on the rule of law in Rwanda. The ICTR was established by the UN Security Council in November 1994 in the immediate aftermath of the 100 days of unparalleled bloodshed that was the, gen uh, the Rwandan genocide. The creation of the tribunal was not only paramount as a measure to hold accountable those most responsible for the genocide, but also was critical in reasserting the rule of law in a country that saw its judiciary decimated by conflict. The ICTR was mandated to try those most responsible for crimes committed in 1994 related to the genocide. Efforts to complement the work of the ICTR and restore peace and reconciliation to the Great Lakes region meant that justice mechanisms in Rwanda needed to be rebuilt and restored to ensure that perpetrators at all levels were held accountable. Over the past two decades, the tribunal has witnessed monumental endeavors made by Rwanda to reconstruct its judiciary. This lecture will focus on the evolving relationship between Rwanda and the ICTR over two decades during which we saw the establishment of a revived judicial system in Rwanda following the genocide. This included the reinforcement of the national courts and the revamping of the ancient Rwandan Gachacha system to help prosecute the more than 100,000 offenders not within the mandate of the ICTR. Another element I will highlight in this lecture is the amendment of the ICTR rules of procedure and evidence to allow referral of cases to Rwanda and the impact that the tribunal's referral program has had on the Rwandan judiciary. In this respect, I will look at how Rwanda, through various legislative reforms, restructured its judiciary thereby making it possible for the ICTR to transfer cases. It has been said, and I must echo, that prosecution and judicial decisions alone cannot maintain peace or achieve reconciliation in a region devastated by unspeakable atrocities. In order to ensure that affected communities not only understand the work of the tribunal, but also the ramifications of the genocide and the lessons learned in the fight against impunity, the ICTR continues to implement outreach and capacity building programs. These programs represent an essential part of the tribunal's efforts in Rwanda and throughout the region. 
these initiatives, which I will elaborate upon below, are fundamentally important to strengthening the rule of law in Rwanda. As the work of the ICTR concludes, the tribunal continues to strive to preserve its efforts to seek justice, national reconciliation and capacity building. While the legacy of the tribunal will continue to be written, the ICTR's role in the development of international criminal law and the rule of law in Rwanda must not be overlooked. I will now provide a brief historical overview of the Rwandan legal system in the wake of the 1994 genocide. Responding to the widespread massacres, Rwanda had to find some way to cope with the fact that approximately 10% of the Hutu population were alleged to have participated, participated in the massacre of 800,000 to 1 million Tutsi, moderate Hutu, Twa and others. At the same time, the Rwandan justice system was in ruins. Approximately five judges in the entire country and 50 practicing lawyers had survived the genocide and remained in the country. Facing this reality, the Rwandan government formally requested that the international community reinforce government efforts in dealing with the genocide by setting up as soon as possible an international tribunal to try the criminals. On 8 November 1994, the UN Security Council passed Resolution 955, which established the ICTR. As previously mentioned, it is important to recall that the ICTR was not mandated with assuming full responsibility for prosecuting all of the accused genocide perpetrators. As a result, the ICTR was forced to focus its trials on high-ranking military and government officials alleged to have planned and executed the genocide. Rwanda, therefore, was left to handle a massive number of individuals who were also alleged to have participated in the genocide. Within Rwanda, the large number of cases related to the genocide coupled with the state of its judicial system presented a considerable challenge. New laws were adopted to structure the prosecution of the alleged genocide participants, but the sheer number of cases was too much for the system to bear. Wide-scale arrests of lower-level genocide perpetrators resulted in the Rwandan prisons quickly filling up. By 2001, about 5,000 trials had taken place before the Rwandan courts with more than 125,000 people in prison awaiting trial in detention facilities built to hold only 12,000 people. With the number of accused individuals increasing, the Rwandan government had to investigate alternative approaches to criminal justice. In 2005, this situation led to the implementation of the Gachacha court system for crimes related to the genocide. The Gachacha court system was not a new system, but a remodeling of a traditional justice system adapted for a new purpose and with new rules. Prior to the genocide, the Gachacha courts were primarily community courts where elders would sit on the grass and resolve conflicts in the community. In fact, the word Gachacha means grass in Kenya Rwanda.
the Gachacha courts had predominantly been used to resolve disputes involving property, while other serious crimes were settled by community chiefs or the king's representative. The reinvented specialized Gachacha system came into being when the Rwandan government passed the Gachacha law in 2004. The new Gachacha courts were designed to bring about justice and reconciliation at the grassroots level and were governed by an official state institution. They differed from the traditional system in that the new Gachacha system handled serious criminal offenses, was retributive or punitive in nature, applied codified law, and the judges were elected from the community. While the Gachacha courts helped to strengthen and rebuild the communities in which they operated, there were a number of criticisms of, of, of the system. Human Rights Watch noted that the Gachacha law failed to provide adequate safeguards to ensure the fair trial rights of the accused. And others commented that judges were not adequately trained and expressed concern over a risk of bias by the judges. Indeed, the local setting of Gachacha meant that the judges knew the parties, which reduced impartiality and increased the risk of corruption. Further, the accused had no access to counsel at any stage in the proceedings, despite this being guaranteed under the Rwandan constitution and international law. While these criticisms were cause for concern, a number of benefits have been associated with the Gachacha system as recreated in 2005. The principal benefit of the new Gachacha courts was their efficiency in dealing with the enormous backlog of cases. The Gachacha system was also based on participatory justice with individuals within the, in the community electing representatives. These representatives were acting as judges locating and adducing information about the identity of suspects or providing evidence before the courts. As a result, Rwandans were provided the opportunity to actively participate in the administration of justice in the post-genocide society. The trials also individualized responsibility for crimes committed during the genocide, thus minimizing the tendency to demonize an entire group. According to Human Rights Watch, the standard of genocide trials in Rwanda's conventional courts has varied enormously. Some, particularly in the early post-genocide period, were marked by many failures. Others, especially in more recent years, have shown greater respect for due process, partly thanks to extensive legal and institutional reforms and enhanced training and professional, professionalization uh, of judicial staff. Despite these criticisms, the Gachacha court experience stands as an example of prosecution of international crimes by a national justice system. Their legacy has been studied at length and remains an important model of conflict resolution and peace restoration across the world. They also illustrate how national courts can work in a complementary manner with international tribunals. 
While Cachacha is an example of Rwanda's justice system evolving to meet its own internal needs following the genocide, the ICTR has also had a notable impact on legislative reform in Rwanda. This is evidenced, for example, by the legislation developed by Rwanda in response to the tribunal's referral program and the transfer of cases from the ICTR to Rwandan domestic courts. In 2007, the Rwandan National Assembly passed what is generally referred to as the Transfer Law, Organic Law 11 of 2007, which allowed Rwandan courts to receive cases referred from the ICTR. However, all requests made by the ICTR prosecutor to refer cases to Rwanda that year were denied. In each case, the trial chamber and appeals chamber identified a number of factors that led to the denial of the transfer requests. The main apprehension in 2007 stemmed from three major factors. Firstly, the penalty structure in Rwanda. Secondly, concerns over fair trial rights. And thirdly, questions with respect to conditions of detention and judicial impartiality. In April 2011, the rule governing referral of cases by the ICTR, Rule 11bis of the ICTR Rules of Procedure and Evidence, was amended to allow the trial chamber to monitor and, on its own initiative, consider the revocation of a case referred to a national jurisdiction where the fair trial rights of the accused are not being properly observed. Since 2011, after some important changes to the Rwandan legislation, the trial chamber has granted all eight requests for referral of cases from the ICTR to Rwanda. I will now examine the three factors enumerated by the ICTR's referral decisions in 2007 as areas of concern and describe the related progression of legislative reform in Rwanda. First, penalty structure. The existing penalty structure in Rwanda was inadequate for the purposes of transferring cases from the ICTR to Rwandan courts. While Rwanda had abolished the death penalty in 2007 with the passing of Organic Law 31 of 2007, the abolition of death penalty law, the tribunal continued to have grave reservations that the penalty structure in Rwanda still included the possibility of life imprisonment with special provisions. At that time, Article 4 of the Abolition of Death Penalty Law stated that, quote, life imprisonment with special provisions, end quote, included the possibility of being kept in isolation. And Article 5 stated that this penalty would apply to, quote, crimes of genocide and crimes against humanity, end quote. Since the abolition of death penalty law was enacted after the transfer law of 2007, there was also a perceived ambiguity as to which sentencing provisions would prevail should a case be transferred to Rwanda. Based upon these concerns, the trial chamber and appeals chamber in, Yi, in the Munyakasi, Hadekikimana and Kanyarukiga cases in 2008 concluded that the penalty structure in Rwanda did not provide the requisite 
safeguards necessary for the referral of cases. Through submissions made during the Hadegekimana appeal in November of 2008, Rwanda informed the tribunal that Parliament had passed a new law modifying the abolition of death penalty law so that life imprisonment with special provisions would not apply to transfer cases. The appeals chamber noted that such a law would resolve the ambiguity, but there was no evidence that this law had entered into force. However, in 2008, the abolition of death penalty law was amended by Organic Law Number no. 66 of 2008 to specify that life imprisonment with special provisions shall not be pronounced in respect of cases transferred to Rwanda from the ICTR. Thus, the penalty structure no longer allowed for the imposition of the death penalty or life imprisonment with solitary confinement for cases transferred to Rwanda by the ICTR. In 2011, the trial chamber hearing the Uwinkindi referral application noted that the ambiguities with regard to the nature and scope of the sentences had now been adequately addressed by Rwanda. Uwinkindi was the first transfer to Rwanda. Secondly, issues with respect to witness availability. Another concern raised by defense counsel was, was the possibility that an accused fair trial rights could be violated if he was tried in Rwanda. One of the concerns was that many witnesses within and outside Rwanda might be afraid to testify in defense of an accused who was referred for trial in Rwanda. Human Rights Watch and the International Criminal Defense Attorneys Association noted cases of witnesses being arrested, re-arrested re -arrested or harassed after returning to Rwanda following testimony before the ICTR. Such appearances also led to indictment in Kachacha trials. Witnesses were also afraid of being accused of harboring genocide ideology if they testified for the defense. Finally, it was submitted that the Rwandan Witness Protection Service was understaffed and administered by the prosecutor and police. Rwanda took a major step towards alleviating concerns about witness availability by modifying its transfer law to include a provision that no person shall be criminally liable for anything said or done in the course of a trial. This was a clear indication that Rwanda hoped to prevent fear of being accused of harboring genocidal ideology if a person appeared as a defense witness. To address the issue of defense witnesses residing outside Rwanda, the transfer law was amended in order to expand the different modes of receiving testimonies of witnesses who were unable or unwilling to appear before the High Court to give testimony. In its request for referral to Rwanda in the Uwinkindi case in 2011, ICTR prosecution also pointed to the Witness Protection Unit that had been established under the Supreme Court and the High Court in Rwanda as a way to address concerns that the only witness protection program in Rwanda was being run by the prosecutor's office. The trial chamber noted that the creation of this new witness protection regime 
would be a positive step in guaranteeing witness safety as it would ultimately be monitored directly by the Rwandan judiciary. The trial chamber concluded in the Uwinkindi case that since amendments were made to the transfer law, uh, a new witness protection program was created and the various safeguards were imposed. The argument that witnesses might be unwilling to testify was no longer a compelling reason for denying referral. Thirdly, issues with conditions of detention. The conditions of, conditions of detention were another main obstacle that initially prevented the ICTR from transferring cases to Rwanda. In 2006, there were approximately 69,000 people held in prison in Rwanda. Following the mass arrest of genocide suspects in the late 1990s and early 2000s, the prisons in Rwanda were extremely overcrowded. For example, it was reported that 7,477 detainees were held in the Kitarama prison in 2006, while its official capacity was 3,000. Most of the detainees at that time had not yet been formally charged with any crime, and a lack of sanitation, food and medical care created conditions that were universally acknowledged to be inhumane. It was well noted in the ICTR transfer case decisions that the conditions of detention must accord with internationally recognized standards. In its submissions to the Chamber, considering the referral of the Kanyarukika case in 2008, Rwanda noted that a new prison was being built with a special wing to house transfer detainees that would meet international standards. It was also noted that during trials, the accused would be detained in a custom-built remand facility at Kigali Central Prison. The trial chamber noted that Article 23, Paragraph 1 and Paragraph 2 of the transfer law stated that the accused would be detained in accordance with the minimum standards stipulated in the United Nations Body of Principles for the Protection of All Persons under any form of detention or imprisonment. The International Committee of the Red Cross, the ICRC, or an observer appointed by the President of the Tribunal would also have the right to inspect conditions of detention. As a result, in 2008, the trial chamber in the Kanya Rokika and Gateta cases decided that the physical conditions of detention facilities could be adequately observed and monitored by the ICRC or the President's monitor. This led to the conclusion that conditions of detention were no longer an issue impeding the transfer of cases to Rwanda. Fourthly, judicial impartiality concerns. The use of only a single judge during the trial phase raised concerns about independence and competence. It was argued that international standards normally include the use of three judges at the first instance and five judges on appeal. Rwanda and the prosecution both submitted to the trial chamber that R Rule 11 bis did not require the imposition of the ICTR's judicial structure in Rwanda and that single judge trials are widely used around the world in criminal cases.
Rwanda noted how it adopted the model of a single judge at first instance after a comparative study of East, Central and Southern African judicial systems. The appeals chamber accepted the prosecution's argument about the independence and impartiality of the, of the judiciary, concluding it was not persuaded that the composition of the High Court was incompatible with the right to a fair trial. However, the appeals chamber did share the trial chamber's concerns about a single judge trying cases which are politically sensitive. In Kanyarukiga, Hadege Kimana and Katete, the trial chambers stated in 2008 that international legal instruments did not require a trial or appeal to be heard by a specific number of judges to meet fair trial standards. The trial chambers further observed that Rwanda had held single judge trials on genocide cases since 2004. There was no information available supporting that the acquittal rate for these cases had been lower. The ICTR referral program, which began in 2007 and saw the first cases transferred to Rwanda in 2011, not only illustrates the importance of engaging with domestic legal institutions, but also demonstrates the tangible impact the tribunal has had in strengthening the rule of law in Rwanda and ensuring that its judiciary complied with international standards. Despite challenges, concerns having, have been addressed and two refer cases, referred cases are underway in Rwanda as of today. Since the amendment to Rule 11 bis in 2011, the trial chamber has granted a total of eight requests for referral to Rwanda. Of these eight cases, six involve fugitive indictees, and the other two involve indictees who were in the custody of the tribunal at the time of referral to Rwanda. At this trial, at this time, the trials for Uwinkindi and Munyakishari have commenced separately in Rwanda. While the trial for Winkindi resumed on Jul July 2, 2014, the pre-trial hearings for Munyakishari was held in June 2014. The next hearing in the Munyakishari case is scheduled for November 5, 5 2014 before the, the Rwandan judiciary. As the ICTR's legacy is crafted and as other international courts are contemplated, it is possible, it is impossible not to consider the referral program created by the ICTR and how this may lend further support to the notion of national jurisdictions prosecuting international crimes. I now turn to capacity building initiatives created by the ICTR that focused on the sharing of best practices and expertise between international and domestic institutions. These actions further promoted the rule of law in Rwanda through the development of information centers, awareness raising campaigns, training programs for Rwandan legal professionals, and capacity building on key issues. In August 2003, the Security Council adopted Resolution 1503, which called upon the presidents, prosecutors, and registrars of the ICTY and the ICTR to develop and improve their outreach programs. 
At that time, the ICTR registrar, Adam Ajieng, had already considered outreach programs to be of crucial importance to the impact of the tribunal on Rwanda and on the region. Even before Mr. Jiang was appointed registrar, the ICTR had developed and implemented an outreach program aimed at informing the Rwandan population of the ICTR's mandate, relevance and role. It also had the goal of working to enhance the skills of legal professionals in Rwanda and throughout East Africa. The Outreach and Capacity Building Program was the first of its kind under the current system of international justice. I will now discuss a few of the outreach and capacity building initiatives created by the ICTR. First, the information centers. On 25 September 2000, the Umusansu Viyungi Information Center in Kigali was inaugurated, and in 2005, 10 additional provincial, uh, prov provincial information centers located across Rwanda also began operations. These information centers continue to play a key role in information dissemination and in in improved communication and access to the jurisprudence of the tribunal and other legal materials. In Rwanda, members of the Rwandan judiciary, academics, students, researchers, and the public visit the centers daily and are provided with inf informative materials, trainings, library services, and notices about um, upcoming ICTR appeal hearings and judgments. The Umusansu Center is also instrumental in providing services to officials within the Rwandan courts and to prosecution and defense lawyers. As we near completion of the tribunal's mandate, the information centers will soon be handed over to the Rwandan government. The outreach program would not be, a successful, be as successful without campaigns to raise awareness among the youth. In 2006, the ICTR began an awareness-raising campaign for Rwandan secondary school students. This target audience was chosen since students of this age are seen as the future leaders of Rwanda. The campaign focuses on the mandate, relevance and role of the ICTR, as well as on sensitization on the Rwandan genocide and lessons learned in the hopes of bridging the gap between the ICTR and the Rwandan population. Specifically, the campaign includes genocide awareness raising workshops that last year alone covered 36 secondary schools in various parts of Rwanda and included the participation of over 26,000 teachers and students. The tribunal continues its efforts to disseminate information on the dangers of mass atrocities and its precursors, such as hate speech and discrimination. The tribunal also continues to distribute uh, copies of the ICTR's cartoon book entitled 100 Days in the Land of a Thousand Hills, which informs and teaches youth about genocide, its causes and dynamics and the concept of never again becoming a reality. 
the tribunal followed up on its youth sensitization and genocide prevention project in the Great Lakes region by distributing a, a total of 20,000 copies of its cartoon books in Burundi, Kenya, Rwanda, Uganda, and the United Republic of Tanzania. The books distributed through the United Nations offices were sent to primary and secondary schools. The tribunal also organized exhibitions and presented talks on its work in Nairobi, Dar es Salaam, and Kigali. This major youth sensitization project has helped to produce a more positive outlook on the ICTR's image. These awareness-raising campaigns not only provide more context to the efforts of the ICTR as part of the peace and reconciliation process, but also provide ICTR staff members with stronger support from local authorities in facilitating and completing their work. Throughout the years, the ICTR has had an impact on the Rwandan judicial system in ways other than its referral program as well. As an example, through its foreign request unit, the Office of the Prosecutor, the OTP, has actively supported national investigations, prosecutions and extraditions through sharing of evidence with national prosecuting authorities. Another important component of the Tribunal's outreach program is the training of Rwandan legal professionals. Since 2005, the ICTR has provided training and seminars to Rwandan jurists, advocates, various judicial and academic institutions, and human rights practitioners with the aim of strengthening their knowledge of international humanitarian and criminal law as well as their familiarity with the tribunal's jurisprudence. The ICTR also helps the ICRC organize an annual moot court competition for law students from the eastern, southern and western part of Africa with a view to promoting knowledge and understanding of international humanitarian law among the academic community. The ICTR's capacity building program was initiated in order to strengthen the institutional capacity of the judicial sector in Rwanda. This program was conceived as a knowledge sharing process that is aimed at reinforcing the judicial and non-judicial sectors of the beneficiary country. Under this program, training sessions on the key issues pertaining to the principles and practice of international criminal law have been conducted. In addition, starting in March 2014, the ICTR registry, together with the Office of the Prosecutor, began contributing to a major Rwandan capacity building initiative spearheaded by the Rwandan judiciary with the aim of enhancing the the capacity of Supreme and High Court judges and their judicial and administrative, administrative staff working on the cases referred from the ICTR and other domestic jurisdictions to Rwanda. And current and former tribunal staff and judges led most of the training sessions, which include judgment drafting, evidentiary analysis to case management. Through its international cooperation and legacy projects, 
the Office of the Prosecutor has endeavored to strengthen the capacity of national criminal justice systems to prosecute international crimes with due regard to fair trial standards. These legacy outputs have included sharing best practices with national investigating and prosecuting authorities through different means. For example, the OTP worked in collaboration with other prosecution officers to create a guide on prosecuting mass atrocities, a compendium of lessons learned and suggested practices from the offices of the prosecutors, which was launched in November 2012 at the International Association of Prosecutors annual general meeting in Bangkok. Furthermore, the OTP published the OTP ICTR Lessons Learned Manual for the tracking and arrest of fugitives from international justice in September 2013 at the International Association of Prosecutors annual general meeting in Moscow. Interpol currently uses this OTP's manual on tracking and arrest of fugitives as a training tool. As Rwanda will be heavily involved with tracking the outstanding fugitives, this manual on the tracking and arrest of fugitives will show the importance of the shared experience between international and domestic jurisdictions. The ICTR also played a significant role in the recognition and understanding of violence against women in armed conflict. One year before the creation of the ICTR, the UN General Assembly adopted the Declaration on the Elimination of Violence Against Women, which recognized that women in situations of armed conflict were particularly vulnerable to violence. The ICTR has heard several cases and developed a rich body of law in relation to violence against women in situations of armed conflict. The prosecution of cases of sexual violence was an important objective of the Office of the Prosecutor. Moreover, in order to empower those who oppose violence against women, the Tribunal has launched the Best Practices Manual on Prosecution of Sexual and Gender-Based Violence in January 2014 in Kampala, Uganda. Regional training programs on this issue are forthcoming. Members from Rwandan judiciary who provided assistance to the conference will benefit from these best practices and will be involved in the training. I now come to my conclusion. It remains difficult to imagine that just 20 years ago, Rwanda was on the precipice of an international tragedy of unimaginable scope and magnitude. After the genocide, with the Rwandan justice system reduced to shambles, it was not at all clear whether the perpetrators of the genocide would someday be held accountable for their crimes. Now, 20 years later, the ICTR has helped to bring justice to the victims of the genocide through prosecution of some of the most senior leaders during the genocide. In the process, the tribunal has supported Rwanda's effort, efforts to revitalize its judiciary and provided outreach and capacity building programs that advance the international community's goal of ending impunity for those who commit genocide, crimes against humanity, and war crimes. The relationship between the ICTR and Rwanda 
and the support from the international community has enabled the ICTR to not only prosecute those most responsible for the genocide, but also in turn to train members from all sectors of the Rwandan judiciary and thereby assist Rwanda while it developed its own justice mechanisms. The strengthened judiciary and extensive training programs and other capacity building initiatives demonstrate the impact that the ICTR has had on the rule of law in Rwanda. This is clearly, clearly evidenced by the tribunal's referral program and, is, and its direct correlation to legislative reforms that took place in Rwanda that ensured that transferred cases would meet international standards. Rwanda's dedication to rebuilding its judiciary, coupled with the tri tribunal's guidance through judicial decisions, trainings and other capacity building programs, is a testament to the tribunal's commitment to strengthening national jurisdictions and demonstrates the impact that it had on the implementation of the rule of law in Rwanda, which may ultimately serve as a symbol to other countries as a way to successfully challenge impunity in the future.